I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show all right i think we can start i think Uh, we're ready as ready as we can be for this whole experience i suddenly feel trepidation in a way that i don't normally when we start the show i just keep looking at this drink i know i'm gonna tell everybody about the drink but first, we need to say, hi, I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Gabe Habash in the studio with us. The studio, the damn library. What am I doing? <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. I don't know why I messed up my own name for the thing. Because you're nervous about the drink, too. Oh, yeah, shush. The drink, the drink is petrifying all of us. Um, <laughs> it's not scary. It's a basic... We're going to get to it. Um, Gabe, you are the author of Stephen Florida, um, as well as you work at Publishers Weekly. And um, you are also the, uh, I, I, I don't know if this is too much personal life, but you're married to Julie Bunton, who is a former guest of the show. That which is true. Is, which true. first first time we've oh, done that. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I thought that was notable. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Appreciate thanks for coming. It. Um, so the cocktail that I've made... So I I got interested in the idea of this cocktail uh, a while ago. Um, It's called a bull shot is the is the thing that I started messing with. And so in the 50s and 60s had this cult following and it's basically a Bloody Mary. But instead of tomato juice, you use beef broth. And um, so cult following where, though? All over. All (laughs) over. It's sort of had a um, like uh, Joan Crawford and Richard Chamberlain are two people that um, Mm. That are famous people who drank one of these and didn't die. Yeah, exactly. That we know. Um, <laughs> so it's vodka, beef broth, um, Worcestershire sauce, and then chipotle Tabasco, and then I've done lime. Um, and the Worcestershire sauce that I chose has a little bit of um, ancho chili in it as well. And then there's uh, celery bitters uh, and salt. And I shake th- shook that all up and poured it over ice. And the garnish is a. Uh, Slim Jim knockoff <laughs> called a Big Beef Chevy. And so uh, none of us have tried this yet. I mean, I do I, like I the... tried one. I tried one and I've, I've worked on a couple versions of it last night or two nights ago. And now I am going to make you all drink it. I do like the, the scent of Worcestershire. That's like one of my favorite cooking scents. So it has a nice nose. Uh, and it's a salted rim too. So yeah. here we go. We're, doing <laughs> right. We're trying. All right. Cheers. Cheers. No going back. <laughs> What's this called? Like a power bullet or something? What's it was called a. It was called a. Um, the original version is called a bull shot, bull but shot. I'm calling it pinned in honor of Stephen Florida, uh-huh. your novel about. I love how college. I love how deceptive it is because it has like the color of uh, apple cider, <laughs> and it like tastes like the exact opposite of apple cider. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it tastes like a drink where something once was living, <laughs> and now it's in this drink. Um, I really like it. It sort of has like an umami flavor that um, you chase a lot, except for it just, I don't know. I, I just, you're not something, it's not something that you do a lot is drink a salty drink. It's true. Um, yeah. Bloody Mary is like the only one that people do. It's funny that I'm thinking about the beef broth of it and it does sort of feel like you could also very quickly heat this up and turn it into like a soup yeah. base. And actually, um, that was another variant on the bull shot is they would serve it hot. So that was huh. the Joan Crawford style. <laughs> <laughs> so the so this is a 
This is a strange cocktail. I keep going back to it now too. I'm like, oh, it's yeah, the I'm, salt. What? What? I'm looking it is forward the salt. to the the beef stick, <laughs> the big Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with a little vodka on the end no. of it. Very nice. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a. Uh, this is this is in honor of Stephen Florida, uh, which I think is a very it was a very strange novel with a lot of I mean the, it's wrestling so there's so, there's so much talk of bodies and and what he eats is so important mm-hmm. and I don't think he would <laughs> he doesn't really drink so I don't no. think he would ever have one of these no this is not not for him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get straight over to Stephen, Florida, because I want to talk about it, let's talk about what you buy. Drew, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure. I just got sent a new short story collection uh, that I requested without reading the blurb because I love the title so much, and the title is "The Sea Beast." takes a lover mm. and i was just like so many things about oh, okay uh by michael andreason it's a okay. debut collection uh it just showed up it has like a sea beast on the cover as you i'm hope. excited to see what happens when said sea beast takes so a you lover. know nothing about this I author know nothing about this author you know it's got a good title and then good title it sounds like it's sort of you know uh fantastical cool uh but that's all i know about it i love so that I'm excited to dive into it. Showed up just yesterday. It's so rare for that. Um, I yeah. usually know so much about the yeah. things I'm consuming from any point of view. It's fun to just jump in because, like, someone said, "Like, watch a movie," and you just go and watch it. You don't. Mm-hmm. You don't have anything other than the title. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Gabe. How yeah. About you? Well, speaking of not knowing anything about books, <laughs> uh, because I I tend to do that too, and I like doing that a lot. Um, I uh, recently. Well, not recently, but I, I've been wanting to read um, some scary books. Mm. Nice. Um, because I feel like, you I mean, I, I love horror movies, and um, I feel like scariness in literature is underrated. And mm-hmm. like, unless you're like actively seeking out like Stephen King or something like that. So um, I think I put on Twitter, like, I asked a bunch of people, or asked uh, people on Twitter if they had any suggestions. And so I bought two books. Well, I actually bought, I already had one that I just hadn't gotten to yet. And that's Hangs a Man by Shirley Jackson. Oh, yeah. Have we talked about that? that on this show, actually, with okay. Francine Prose. Oh, great. It's a great yeah, well, I'm sure she had lots of, I'll have to listen to that episode. as soon as I yeah. finish the book. But yeah, um, so I don't know anything about that book. I mean, I have a general idea, like, based on the back of the book. The other one that uh, someone mentioned that I also just barely know the premise of is... I think it's called The Comfort of Strangers by Ian McEwan. Mm. Oh. And I've never read him before, um, which seems like a blind spot because he's been writing for years and, you know, has tons of books. Mm-hmm. And um, someone said that that has some sort of scary element to it. And I don't know what it is, but cool. Uh, cool. I got it. I bought it. I'm planning on starting it like tonight. And do you have um? Do you have a history of like... Do you? Re- you know putting books in the freezer like if it's too scary or (laughs) no i i that i was looking for the scariest book imaginable and the reason why the last book that i read um that really did that for me was um ill will by dan sean i don't know if you guys oh yeah i read that over the summer yeah did it scare you oh yeah yeah scary book yeah um and i was just looking for more books like that or more books that you know gave me that feeling of like uh dread and yeah like upset me because i like to be upset and yeah. uh yeah there's just not i mean that book is amazing and it's actually like one of the better books i've read in the last couple of years and um yeah so the scarier the better nice nice i uh i bought uh a elvis presley biography um called last train to memphis it's actually uh the first in a two book series because this is just the rise of Elvis Presley by uh, Peter Goralnik. Is it like it, 800 pages? It's pretty long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has. I've already started listening to it, and it's great. I'm listening to the audiobook. Um, and it's really fun to like listen to some of it and then switch over to hear just like one of the songs that they've mentioned on Spotify or something. Yeah. Um, and then also on the way over here, um, I stopped into, there's a thrift store 
on this street, um, Housing Works, and uh, picked up, they had illustrated classics, um, comics. And so I'm going to read Moby Dick, finally. <laughs> um, there's There was a great Les Miserables in there, mm-hmm. and uh, Frankenstein as well. So I'm going to really... Um, you know, clear up some blind spots for myself in uh, in classic in literature. comic book fashion. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to be able to talk about them with the facility of those who have read the real thing. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> there was actually a Moby Dick uh, element to Stephen Florida that got cut. Uh, we can talk about that. Ooh. Nice. Yeah, I got, it's not good. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know. It could be good. Why don't we uh, start talking about Stephen Florida? <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, it came out last year, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. Why don't you tell everyone what it's about? Um, yeah, in your good. words. So it's uh, it's about um, a college wrestler in North Dakota um, named Stephen Florida. Although if you read the book, you will find out that that's not his actual name. And he, the book takes place over his senior season. In college, he goes to a fictional college in central North Dakota named Orgsburg, and um, he is an orphan. His parents have died a number of years earlier in a car accident. His grandmother has died um, a couple years earlier, just as he was going off to college. Uh, He doesn't really have any friends. He really only cares about winning the um, championship in his weight class, which is 133 pounds. Well, I, I want to talk about something that you mentioned right away, um, that his name isn't Stephen Florida, but that is what he calls himself. And it immediately sets up that he's someone else than who we think he is. Um, but it just, the whole book is such an unreliable narrator where he says like, I'm lying or I wasn't lying um, about all of this. I just, the creation of an unreliable narrator um, is, is, do you know, only what's real to Stephen, or do you know like what he's perceived and decided in a certain fashion like that that's through his his life do i do i know more than Stephen, or do i know only what Stephen knows yeah basically huh that's a really good question <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go back like four years ago when i started writing this um i i guess i don't know i, I guess i go back and forth like the book, because the book is so open to interpretation, um, sometimes I felt like I, I mean, you know, there's a couple different ways of how writers think about their characters, but um, a lot of how I was writing the book was just sort of following where he went. Um, you know, when I talk about the book as it was conceived, it started with, you know, the book does get very weird but the structure of the book as i just explained is very straightforward it's mm-hmm. you know it starts the first page is his first match of this of his senior season the end of the book is the end of his season mm-hmm. so it's a very clear trajectory but within that and i i knew that i was going to write the story around that structure but within that the confines of that i i just sort of let the book take its various turns where it was going to and i had i had a broad outline of you know where the big plot points were going to happen and what was going to happen. But um, within individual scenes, the, the momentum was determined by Steven. So I guess um, I don't know the answer to that question. Like I, it's, it's, you sort of stumped me on the first question, (laughs) but um, yeah, I think that I didn't always know the answer, but it did feel like that there, it did feel like there was um, something behind each one and not like he was just spinning yeah i mean it's again going back to the the structure is so straightforward and he cares about wrestling which is about as objective uh, the result of a wrestling match is objective you know he cares about wrestling which is uh the polar opposite of what you're talking about with the ambiguity and what's going on in his psyche during the course of the book so i was aware i didn't want to you know test the I didn't want to do what you just said, you know, I didn't want to make it so ambiguous that you're frustrated that you don't have a grip on, you know, the general basics of what's going on. Um, and I did think that one way to anchor that uh, ambiguity was with the actual wrestling aspect of it, because that is, and he does really only care about the wrestling. So I thought that would be a nice counterbalance to the more uh, 
ambiguous aspects of the of the novel were you a wrestler yeah what did wrestling hold before you started this yeah uh, that is that is a very common question. I'm like the first one, <laughs> um, and the answer is I was not a wrestler. Um, I didn't I didn't want to write about anything that was really close to my own experience um, mm. because, and I don't I don't know how often you have people on the show like talk about boredom, but I like I get bored really easily, huh. uh, and I didn't. So again, going back to what I was saying about following the various turns in the book, that was a way to keep myself invested in the story and surprise myself. And a lot of my my favorite fiction, um, you know, even Iris Murdoch is just surprising, like something that, you know, anything could happen on any page. Mm-hmm. And I wanted there to be that same sense in this book. So um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I'm from Ohio originally. I didn't want to write about Ohio. I, you know, I've lived in New York for about a decade now. I didn't want to write about New York. Uh, and um, wrestling, I, I ran cross country in high school, which was the closest thing that I got to uh, athletic determination and obsession, but not anywhere near what Steven goes through in the book. Um, so there was, it's, it was some sort of like adjacent thing in my mind with the athletic aspect of it, but wrestling specifically I picked because it is so demanding and unforgiving and it just is an inherently dramatic sport. Like, yeah, I, I, I never in a million years wanted to write about running. Like how do you, <laughs> I mean like the, the loneliness of the long distance runner is like a, is a famous uh, story with running in it, but I, I didn't ever want to try to dramatize running and wrestling to me is just such a, is just ready made for fiction and, strangely there's not that many novels about it i mean there's like john irving he's like carved out his territory in it but <laughs> yeah. outside of that it's well yeah know. i mean the the boxing it's so funny because boxing is and it's yeah like boxing is much more a lot of, of a, boxing yeah but they're they're so similar mm-hmm. um but they're not of course actually but yeah. they're just these physical sports but for some reason wrestling is sort of yeah I, I don't understand it i mean like the work so much of the work was already done for me when i picked wrestling you know like the the um weight management aspect is just inherently dramatic i have to do any work for that like um the grind of the season uh and specifically i was really drawn to um the anonymity of it because not to like disparage wrestling but it's not as popular as football or right you know basketball in this country and um i was really drawn to just in general like what a college what what compels a college athlete to to commit to something that costs them so much, so many other things in their lives, like, you know, healthy relationships a lot of the time and like being able to eat what they want and like have a normal college experience, quote unquote, normal college experience, you know, and they're committing to something that largely is a dead end for most people Mm -hmm. because, you know, unless you go on to be uh, an Olympic wrestler Mm -hmm. or a coach, you know, a lot of people do obviously, but, it stops in college. Right. And, um, you know, that was also inherently dramatic that Steven's committing to this thing at the last, he's going to the, the edge, the, yeah. or the end of the plank with it. <laughs> yeah. Basically. He keeps saying like, I'm going to figure that out after yeah, my exactly. last match. Right. Like, yeah. I will figure out literally the rest of everything. Yeah. After I finish that match. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lifeline for him because he doesn't, he's put so much stock in it for so many years as a way of avoiding the other, problems in his life his life for other and that's not the, that's not totally the reason why he commits to it but yeah it's just a way of putting off the future mm. were you ever tempted to t- like you talk about the anonymity of it were you ever tempted to make it a little bit bigger or to make it or even smaller yeah <laughs> like well, in high school or something i mean yeah i i don't i always knew so i always knew it was going to be college because again it was it's the furthest right. that you could take it so mm-hmm. i thought i knew it was going to be college and not high school and i was never tempted going along with the anonymity of wrestling like you mentioned i never wanted to make it um you know division one like some of the powerhouses are like iowa and oklahoma yeah. state and that's not the that's just a totally different novel and um yeah, the the fact that he that Steven is um sort of chasing something that nobody else is paying attention to was really interesting to me and a really sharp dynamic that I that I was compelled to write, you know, when I was initially thinking about the book. <coughs> and the 
in the setting itself, I wanted to use the Central North Dakota um, fictional college to amplify that. And um, so the same for the same reason, I didn't want to, you know, have him wrestling at a powerhouse school. I wanted to pick a place that was, you know, as far removed from, uh, you know, lots of people and like lots of distractions and it just was all to heighten his sort of solitude and his loneliness. Right. I mean, and I love a made up school. I mean, yeah. Oryxburg is stands up there with some of the great made up um, <laughs> uh, schools and colleges <laughs> that exist. Um, and it's just like the world of Oryxburg was so interesting. Like it was another thing to hold on to, mm-hmm. um, especially, but like the little details, like the names of the classes, which are like intro oh, yeah. to news writing. Um, <laughs> Was, oh, the, the ones, what, like, is no- what is nothing? What is nothing? Um, and then, you know, there's this entire other um, side narrative uh, that is not connected to wrestling at all, where he's convinced that the intro to jazz, and, and most of the campus is convinced that the intro to jazz teacher has killed his wife um, and has gotten away with it. Um, I don't know. It just you you said you were following was that a plot point or was that a following point i guess is my question um, now that i know how this was sort of written that that started with um a character we haven't mentioned yet which is mary beth which is the uh a main a mainish character in the book and um so she mary beth is another student at at uh, orgsburg and uh steven and mary beth have a sort of uh fraught strange relationship for a decent amount of the book and <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to speak uh, not specifically in case anybody hasn't listened or hasn't read the book yet. But um, to me that started with Mary Beth, um, that whole Levi Silas plot mm-hmm. thread and the reason why Steven tries to pursue it so doggedly aside from the fact that he's just an, an insane person uh, <laughs> is that it's his way of connecting to Mary Beth. Mm-hmm. And he, if you, I mean, you guys have read the book. He's just has some communication issues, and mm-hmm. he, I think, he's fairly well aware of that. Uh, and it's a way for him to, I don't know, in his twisted psychology, to like be chivalrous or to like you know do something for Mary Beth in order. Like, if he figures this problem out, that's like a way of him, you know, proving to her something about himself. Mm. I mean, this leads me to want to know about this Moby Dick plot that got lost. Oh, yeah. Um, that wasn't even a plot. It was just like, um, so towards the middle to end of the book, when Stephen's really starting to go off the deep end, he's, he remembers buying a uh, abridged copy of Moby Dick and <laughs> convincing himself that he's going to read it because then he'll have read Moby Dick. And I think this is like first draft of the book. And... Uh, I think either Julie, who's my first reader, Julie Bund, my wife, who's been on the show, uh, she was my first reader, and either she nixed it or my agent did. It was like first or second person who looked at it. I was like, mm, this can go. <laughs> uh, and I think he like reads a couple pages of it, and he's like, this is boring, and then he buries it in snow and then like never talks about oh, it yeah. again. So it was just like, it was like a page. It wasn't even like a huge oh. subplot. <laughs> This is like a upsetting, uncomfortable, like I, the, the way that I read this book was to read like a large chunk of it and then like put it away for a while and read other things and, uh, and look at other media because it was so oh, I'm jealous. Claust- I, claustrophobic. I felt like I was in a wrestling pin. And so I was like, that's just, I that, guess that's I have just to, the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess I have to keep reading. Oh Yeah. Like I, I found myself struggling to look away, even though there were times where I was like, "Oh, this is getting to be a lot." Oh man, I wish I could look at something else right now. I mean, it was the the. I remember one of the this one of the scenes that really made me put it down for a little while. Um, was when it it it's. I'm not gonna say exactly what happened, but um, it's the thing that leads him to say like it's fun to be chased like for a reason. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
that whole sequence that was like in page 30 so you put it down <laughs> i put it down pretty quickly for for that was a little chunk yeah i had to put that down for and well, it just, gets it gets worse after that too it does yeah. it does um i mean it just seems like a really uncomfortable person to have in your head all the time <laughs> yeah i'm gonna take a bite of big chevy before i answer this question uh no yeah it's i so yeah aside from what i said earlier about writing to not be bored is yeah the it was it was a cathartic experience to write the book i mean the the book is totally fictional um but the emotional aspects are true like it was for me writing as a way of um you know articulating something that i felt and it's not like the feeling goes away after you've written it but it is it is it is helpful to find an outlet for it mm-hmm. and to me the best part of writing is the first draft and you know it the publication process just get, just gets more and more alien to that f- initial mm-hmm. Inspir- bit of inspiration as you go like so like this is so weird to talk about the book now i mean it's it's as i'm talking about it you you regain some of that um feeling and inspiration that you had when you first started uh how could you not but it does just get more and more separate from you like the uh, the book becomes like more of an object that's like distant from you in the word like i haven't obviously looked at the book outside of having to read from it at events and stuff since yeah. it's been published and then you know you go through the whole publication process with your agent and your editor but um yeah going back to that first draft phase i wrote the full the full book i wrote the first 50 pages and then showed it to julie and once she told me that they weren't shit i was like okay i can continue to write this because it's not <laughs> because i trust julie more than anybody but uh after that i didn't show her anything i just wrote the rest of the book and it was way longer mm-hmm. like at its longest it was like 50,000 words longer regardless of how you interpret the end and i've had conversations with folks who've read this book and we have like wildly divergent opinions Mm -hmm. on what happens at the end of the book but there is something about the final match and just like this relentless build-up and no no matter what happens i'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it but like no matter what happens that's sort of like okay the season is done there is a moment of just like uh, okay. That I think was even more satisfying in this book than it is in a book that is is less um, relentless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I I felt I felt calmed. I felt tension go out of my shoulders when I finished this book. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. I did too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's a it's a strange. It's it's was like one of the strangest reading experiences I've had in a long time. Good. Um, (laughs) you actually brought another strange reading experience to us in the damn library yeah so let's talk iris murdoch um let's talk the nice and the good uh why did you bring this iris murdoch to the damn library i brought uh the nice and the good because i want an excuse to read it Mm. um because i reason (laughs) <laughs> Iris Murdoch has written 26 novels. This is my fifth one. Mm. And so you're a fan. She, what's she her? Is, she's got like the most. What's her most famous work? Because the sea, the sea, which is a the one the Booker in 70 something 70s, something. 70s, yeah. That's which is one. one of her later ones. I don't know if what edition you guys have, but the the front of mine has her entire list of novels. And some of the other editions I have of her other books have her. I mean, she also writes philosophy and. She wrote. I think she adapted. Oh, yeah. She adapted a severed head for the stage, which is crazy. That's cool. And I think she's also written poetry. She's she's basically written everything. A book on Sartre, existentialists, yeah. and mystics. Shit, I need to read that. She's, I. It's insane. Like mm. her output is. I, I don't know how she did it, but yeah. So I I've read this is I've read four of her novels before this one, and um, they're just addictive because they're crazy and um she packs in extremely compelling plots but they're well written i mean she's an amazing writer so i find that every time i pick up one of her books i just know that i'm gonna get insanity and it's gonna be well written insanity Mm. so and i was not disappointed by this one (laughs) you uh 
I had not yet started the book and you tweeted a photo of like your you were keeping track of characters and you had said something about like she just introduced another character and I was like okay whatever and there is a scene at the beginning of the book where it's sort of like the camera slowly widens and then you realize that like someone else has been sitting at this table the whole time and you're like oh yeah, weird like why didn't we hear from people that? and then there's like another person five pages into the scene and then and by like, the end it's like the painting of the last supper it's yeah, just like 50 a, yeah. people in a room yeah i loved that yeah i also relied on your yeah little family tree photo yeah this one so yeah not to like com- keep car- comparing it to her other books but this one is particularly daunting i mean it's like 18 characters it's crazy and i think the character that i meant i don't remember exactly which character i was talking about when i said she just introduced someone like 50 pages in but i think it may have been eric sears who's paula's mm-hmm. lover who's like but never appears from, yeah <laughs> never yeah. appears it's great like you're just like oh here's here's another character that i'm gonna have to remember and then you never have to see him mm-hmm. just like, uh, not to ruin it but uh <laughs> well i don't think that really ruins anything no but. it doesn't um and it's but to it's a strange book that it's like it's two pretty disparate plots mm-hmm. one is that there's a there's some uh someone who commits suicide at work um and you're sort of following like it seems like it's a suicide but someone's going to investigate it and then there's also a tangentially co- tangentially connected uh house endorse it yeah that um w- one of the sort of effective people li- lives at Yes. And then you're just following all of the interpersonal relationships of that little neighborhood. Yes. Um, and I was thinking of actually um, Alyssa Nettings made for love a little bit when I was reading mm-hmm. this because she did that thing too of like two really different storylines, but you feel the connection a little bit more in this one than you mm-hmm. do in made for love. But I was sort of waiting for that sort of sequence like in made for love where they really like clash together. And in this one, it's kind of, but it doesn't have that same sort of like, it's, it's more like she just really wanted to write two books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what I found so interesting about this one. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I think you guys liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked, yeah, it. Yeah. liked yeah, it a lot. If you read her other stuff, I've read, um, I've read the C the C, which is kind of different than the other ones that I've read, but the other ones, uh, the bell, um, the black prince, and a severed head, which is by far my favorite of the five that I've read. Those all have the same, and in, in that element you're talking about at the Dorset House, they all have that element of having this group of people who are just all in love with each other. Mm-hmm. So that's a trope in all of her books that I've read, uh, or most of them. And to me, what I found so interesting about this one, having read her other books and recognizing that uh, aspect of her, of what she's interested in, this book stands out because of the investigation aspect so it's like someone grafted a like raymond chandler novel or like a patricia highsmith novel like Mm -hmm. on top of an iris murdoch novel and i think this is like mid-career for her i think it's like right smack in the middle of like the 26 novels that she would write (laughs) so it's kind of hard to like trace the career trajectory of iris murdoch having read one-fifth of her novels but uh (laughs) yeah i mean i've read uh you know kind of all over the place in her in her uh, body of work and this one has that aspect going for it that the other ones don't have at all so that's really well that really I mean cool me. I, I kind of thought of it as almost like she had just read an Agatha Christie yeah. and was just like that's not how that go- would go like that's that's not how life is yeah. and so she she was like this is how this this is how Agatha Christie really would play out well, did, it- you, did you guys like the everybody at the house is in love with each other aspect or did you like the investigation aspect better Hmm. or is that that's not how you thought about it that wasn't really how i was thinking about it i think if i had to choose i think i liked the everybody at the house is in love with each other but in that way where if you you could describe the the entire plot and the ending of this novel to somebody and be like this is what happens in this book and then the person could read the well the person could read the book and not feel as though anything had like sure you know where the plot is going but it's not about that it's just like watching these people sort of bounce off of each other and i think it's that so it's i guess a little bit less the like the fact that they're all in love with each other and more just watching them all sort of crossing orbits Mm -hmm. and like 
just some of the weirdness of that house. I love like a big sprawling family house novel. Mm-hmm. Um, like I thought occasionally of Tana French's The Likeness, mm-hmm. which is like much more thrilling. But that idea of like these people in a house, what's going to happen? And occasionally like these twins who I think were my favorite characters because they just show up and they'd be like, we saw another flying saucer today. And everyone's yeah. like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I kept being like, what? Yeah. Well, and then you get the payoff at the end, which is so oh, good. So the rewarding. ending is so good. The, the mystical side of this novel is really interesting in the way that it sort of plays out because there's a whole witchcraft pagan mm-hmm. ritual yeah. side to it that's sort of just like glanced at it's important but it you know it's treated on the same level as everything else not like turning towards the supernatural and being like this is now a supernatural novel right. but it's really like you're left to decide um how much the mysticism matters to you and matter yeah. to the book as yeah. well that's which true. is a, which is an interesting thing. Well, that's what's so that's what's so great about having you know. I mean, this this book does a lot. I mean, it's almost four hundred pages, but given how much territory she covers, it's like mm-hmm. pretty short. It could be a lot longer. Oh yeah. And I think what you're talking about with like containing the mysticism is it's all it's all related to Duquesne, who's the investigator of the suicide, mm-hmm. and um. You know, he's the one tasked with finding out what the backstory is of the guy who commits suicide. His name's Radici. And once he keeps digging deeper and deeper into that mystery, he finds out the answers to the mysticism aspect. But he doesn't, like, go, then go tell all of those, the 15 characters at the Dorset (laughs) house, like, here's what I found out. He's trying to, and I mean, morality is a huge part of uh, her work. Right. And so he's wrestling with his own, like, what's the right thing to do? And that's his own private conflict. And he's he's probably the main the the main character of the book because he straddles yeah. both the mysticism aspect and the everybody at the house aspect, but um, yeah, that's like just his storyline. And then there's fifteen other ones going <laughs> on. And, and so, but that it, it is like this. You get this sort of dizzying feeling when you read one of her ensemble books. Is every chat like a chapter will end, and then it'll start, and you just have to first figure out who you're. It's, you mentioned mm-hmm. like it's just characters orbiting each other and a severed head which is my favorite of hers has a similarly uh, like ensemble cast i mean there's a prota- there's a main character protagonist that is driving the interactions but even when you're following him in a severed head his name's martin you find out later that all these other combinations of characters and permutations were meeting off page and then he gets oh. and then he gets the results of that and that book is that book is far more insane than this book and it's Mm. so good. But this has that same aspect where you're starting a chapter and it's like, okay, this is a Henrietta and Edward chapter, or this is an Octavian and Kate chapter. And you just like, okay, that's what this storyline is. You you like have to remember where you are with that one. But meanwhile, like stuff has happened because Mm -hmm. you've been with other characters for 30 pages. Right. And then you're just picking up the thread here and they're, so the book is like compulsively readable I, and all as all of her books are absolutely because of that because you're just like catching up the whole time well and it's all like unrequited love too which is like you know yeah. pretty um pretty yeah. juicy to read about yeah will they ever get together yeah so just like the kind of like progressive stuff going on in this book where like kate and octavian she's oh, like so good in she's doing this sort of flirtation thing with duquesne and then she's like so today Octavian did Duquesne kissed me and he's like oh how wonderful and you're like when was this book written yeah oh cool okay well I mean they have like an old-fashioned sort of I mean I was looking at just um the reception of this novel of like just like a platonic relationship Mm -hmm. like as and like that was you know on Wikipedia that was like highlighted and it's just like look a platonic (laughs) example yeah this is one of (laughs) the platonic ideal relationship exactly um which I thought was interesting but um the other thing that I thought was that that I I would never have picked up on except for like reading some literary reception of it um that there was this there's this thing called um, and maybe I just, I don't know. I, I got a literature degree kind of in, in college, <laughs> um, but I somehow, kinda, that's what it says on your diploma. Yeah. No, literature, it's kind of not. Um, but so there, there's something called catabet, catabasis. Uh-huh. 
of like of a character go- descending and having like a moral realization. It's the trip to the underworld. Yeah, and yeah. I guess like it's like oh, there's two forms of catabasis in this novel, and I didn't know that we needed a name for the uh, for that. <laughs> Which Iris Murdoch most certainly knew that word before, like when she was ten, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do get the idea that she's an incredibly like whip smart, intelligent, like crazy smart person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about her, but I just imagine her writing really fast. Yeah. I mean, she, but, I don't, I don't have the, my edition doesn't have the years that her books are published, but she was putting out book every year or two, mm-hmm. which is, and they're like, the crazy thing is a severed head is pretty short, but some of, some of her, most of her other books are like four or 500 pages. So I don't, I just, that <laughs> boggles the mind. I don't know how she did that. She's just a genius. And it's just so plot heavy. I mean, it really is like, you really are like, oh, what's going on with the investigation? Oh, who's getting together now? Yeah. Who who's a kissing? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely gonna read more Iris Murdoch now. You should check out a severed head. I have uh, an order that's coming. One, yeah. <laughs> that's the one. It's so good. Are that, you are you gonna continue down the path? Or yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, this one, I would say a severed head is my favorite by. Not even, not even, not. I wouldn't say not even close because I loved all of them. I don't really have a criticism, <laughs> but this one, when I was reading a severed head, there, there are moments. There are multiple moments in that book that are some of the most memorable reading moments I've ever had because the surprise that she's able to inject into the story and have it continue down this path of just the next crazy thing happens, and you get some of that in this where like something will happen i don't want to like reveal too much of it but like you'll find something out that's pretty crazy and then there's more crazy stuff after that yeah severed has has that like in crystallized down to like its purest form and i was sort of waiting for like the other shoe to drop with this one and it doesn't fully happen in the way that it happens in um a severed head or even the bell has has it to an extent um so that was my only I was like, eh, I wish it went like a little bit further with some right. of the. There's no like um, rubber band snap, yeah, which is sort of yeah. what it felt like it was leading to. There's yeah. so much tension, but it's more like just a, like a, a gradual yeah. thing rather than a, like a really quick snap yeah. release. But Severed Head has that, like, a couple times. Well, um, do we want to talk about other books that we read and recommend to people? Past yeah, Cyrus sure. Murdoch. Why um, not? That's what we do, right? That is that is what we do. That's the next part of the thing. Um, you want to go, Drew? Uh, sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend three things because I'm gonna add Whoa. one to uh answer Gabe's earlier question about scary books. Um, I'll I will send you many many more because I have several years worth of October's full of scary books. Good. Uh, but the collected works of Victor Laval, mm-hmm. okay. um, like his latest book, The Changeling, mm-hmm. is a, a great fairy tale. But he like he did a twist on an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Ballad of Black Tom that is genuinely terrifying. Someone mentioned that one on on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's just great. This is another thing that is scary is the film adaptation of Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation. Oh, you saw that? I saw it. That's out tomorrow. Yeah, uh, it's great okay like it i mean i love alex garland i loved his fiction i read the beach and the coma and i loved both of them coma is like one of the first sort of weird books i think i ever read i loved ex machina and annihilation is one of my favorite books and it just like it is it is terrifying it is mind-bending it is beautiful um and i like I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think a lot of people are going to be freaked the fuck out mm. by this movie. But also, I'm hoping that people who are like going to go see Natalie Portman in a movie or like going to go see um, Jennifer Jason Leigh or like what they're going to like. Oh, this looks like a cool sci-fi movie. They're going to walk out and have their heads completely spun around, mm. which I think is going to be really cool. Nice. Yeah, that's it. I'm just going to do two. Nice. 
Uh, do you want to go or do you want me there to go? go? Okay. Um, so I'm going to recommend a book that um, Stephen Florida, I think, even has on its jacket copy, um, The Art of Fielding by Chad Harbach. Uh, it's a great novel in a lot of ways. And it, and I can see why you would put want to put these two books next to each other on a shelf. Um, we basically have the same last name, too. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so they often go next to each yeah. other on shelves, is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's good company to be in because it's a, like, and it has a, a a true Moby Dick connection. Yes. So maybe that's another reason why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> folks yeah. were like, yeah, there, there's another sports book with some Moby Dick stuff. Unless you're gonna go much further. Right. Uh, but it's just a great novel, and it's about um, it's about a, you know, an early season of a of a of a I, I can't remember what position he plays second i believe or shortstop 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 think, yeah. and he's like a natural shortstop player and then he gets the yips and can't perform anymore uh and it's just like one of these incredible like you are just yelling at the book <laughs> like as as though that might change what's going to happen in the text um and i highly highly recommend it it's one of those books that had all of the hype in the hype machine uh when it came out and uh it's it deserved that hype um and there hasn't been he hasn't come out with he hasn't done anything else which i'm i'm excited for whatever he does next because that was written with such facility and and it was so exciting um yeah Yeah. so art of fielding yeah let's go on um man i don't know if i should just give like a smattering of yeah smatter like deep (laughs) oh okay uh I mean, I guess I'll just go, I'll go smattering. So I work at, uh, my job allows me to get books early. So a lot of these aren't out or they're about to be out. Nice. Uh, the Recovering Intoxication and Its Aftermath by Leslie Jameson is a great memoir about um, alcoholism. And I don't know if you guys have read Empty Exams, but yeah. this is her first big book since then. Um, and she sort of like puts, she has both her personal memoir I don't want to say it's a personal memoir because that's reducing it. It's way better than that. Uh, and then she also goes into the history of writers and their relationship to alcohol and addiction. So she talks about Gene Reese, um, Dennis Johnson. Uh, I think who's the guy who wrote The Lost Weekend? Charles Jackson. Oh man. She goes like oh, and uh, Malcolm Lowry. She goes like she goes into like their yeah. their biographies so she talks about the relationship of the relationship between um creativity and addiction which mm-hmm. is really interesting so it's basically two books in one cool um that's really great i think it's on april mm-hmm. um another one that's just about to come out which i read uh maybe about a month or two ago that i loved was called the parking lot attendant and that's by nafkote tamarat and that's a debut novel and um it's this um it's just a great like coming of age novel but it's set in boston and uh it's about a a woman falling a young woman falling under the influence of this enigmatic park parking lot attendant uh and that one was really great and it's hard to believe its debut some other stuff that i've read uh i've been reading a lot more poetry because the world is terrible <laughs> and it's hard to sustain i can't believe i read a 400 page iris murdoch book is like the first time in, but i <laughs> uh two books of poetry that i love that i read recently um one came out last year uh and that's called there are more beautiful things than beyonce by morgan parker who's yeah. a friend of mine but she's just like I don't know if you guys have read her poetry. She's I've read just, that. I love that collection. She's so good. And I don't. I, that's coming from, I feel like I need to qualify that for people who don't read a lot of poetry, but I don't read a lot of poetry. Me and too. Her her book is just, out, it's just incredible. Mm. And another book that I think is not out yet, uh, it's called Not Here, and it's by Human Win. Um, and that's out soon, I think. And that is also just a incredibly moving uh just knock the wind out of you poetry collection just like morgan's is wow and today the last book i want to talk about today i finished a book called a meaningful life by lj davis which is an nyrb book Mm -hmm. that they reissued it was originally written in the 70s it has a jonathan lethem intro and that's about um a guy who gets obsessed with this big mansion in brooklyn 
in Bedsty, and he's one of the original gentrifiers, and it's really weird. Mm. And he starts to like lose it a little bit, uh, but it's really funny and um, has some really good lines in it. And I just finished that today. I read it in like two days. It was really, it was a really good book. Oh, wow. that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's of course Lethem wrote the introduction for that. Yeah, he. I would. can like immediately flash back to the work I did on the musical of Fortress of Solitude, looking at like yeah. all of the other stories of gentrification in Brooklyn. And he talks in his intro. He talks about how he was friends with L.J. Davis's son and knew L.J. Davis, huh. and mm. that's also like an added layer. You get to get a little bit of cool insight into what he was. That's awesome. What he was thinking when he wrote it. Cool. Wow, that's a that's quite a list that you're Sorry. giving. No, no, it's good. <laughs> the best no that's i think a lot of people come here for this i've added so many things to my like not even my to read list but my just like my like wish list my someday list yes me too it's like coming up on two thousand books now i see remainder over your shoulder lg davis is sort of like remainder a little bit oh cool that's a good that's a i was remainder is like one of my favorite yeah one of the favorite me too masterpiece yeah so good that gets a huge stamp from all three of us, yeah. I guess. <laughs> we should just talk about Remainder the whole time. Yeah, yeah. We should. <laughs> let's start over. Shucks. I'm Christopher, and this is <laughs> so many damn books. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe we should just end this first one. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- Gabe, thank you so much for joining us in the yeah. damn library. We really thank appreciate it. And thanks it's for seeing Florida. It's yeah, a- it's a crazy, it's a crazy ride. I love that Judy Bloom seems to be such a huge yeah. fan too. That's that so is cool. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean amazing but yeah. like wow judy bloom i don't feel like a real person right now <laughs> i would listen to an album of people covering faith just that because yes, it brings a lot of people bring a lot of crazy voices to it sure yeah yeah <laughs> see this is why we keep recording <laughs> this is why we keep recording. uh shout uh, out to fred durst <laughs> he's a if huge listener yeah. he's really into our show 